0: M. Rossiano and Michael Lucas
1: It was like viewing another species on another planet
0: This is emsolation.
1: I don't blame them if they don't feel safe We're crossing lines We are not It's all we've got in lockdown I am becoming you It's like you possess possessed me <laughs> I want to implement a safe word for my family And I'll just shout at them Banana, banana You're in emsolation. Tick, 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 tick Tick my box Good morning, hello I am re-recording my intro. I, <laughs> this one, my voice sounds like this. My voice takes a bit to get going. I can go quite deep. I texted my producer last night at midnight. I said, Mike, I'm not happy with the intro. I'd like to do another one. And he's so good. He's like, yeah, sure. Um, so here I am. It wasn't quite midnight. It was like 9, 9 p.m., but that's midnight for me. guys. it's pretty late. I can't even start a movie. If it's 9 o'clock, I'll say it's oh, it's a bit late to start a movie. And uh, so here I am, 7.41 a.m., with a very deep voice saying hello. Thank you for being a part of Emsolation. Hello to everyone except the people in Melbourne who got coronavirus and then went to a family gathering. You guys, if you get the Rona, do not pass go, do not collect $200, do not go to Nana's 80th, straight home to isolate. So if you're in Melbourne like I am, oh, we've gone backwards. We are back into kind of semi-severe lockdown. So to all my emsulators, I'm thinking of you. Sadly, if you had tickets to my show on Friday night, this Friday night, if you were lucky enough to get them, they sold out in 20 seconds, you can't come and we will be refunding your money in full and you'll have to watch me at home. You'll have to join all the others who have got their tickets. Do you have your ticket yet? Do you have it? Because this show is now a full virtual online experience. Now, back in the day, if you said something was a virtual show, it would mean, obviously, that my top wouldn't be on. My top will be well and truly on with four bras underneath it. Don't you worry about that. Gosh, isn't, it, isn't technology amazing? Did you, did you used to watch Beyond 2000? And you'd be watching, go, by 2020, there will definitely be flying cars. I will have a robot butler. I don't have either. <laughs> But I am putting on a show that you'd be able to watch on your phone if you if you want to and just lay in bed. Now, it is this Friday night at 8 o'clock. I'm very excited. I was slightly disappointed at first that there wouldn't be people in the room with me, but I know you'll all be there at home watching. And now that if you're in Melbourne, now there's even more reason. You're going to get out and about in your own lounge room. You've got to get dressed up. You don't have to wear pants, though. I wouldn't know. I mean, I wouldn't even care if you weren't wearing pants, you know. Now, you can't watch it. If you don't have a ticket, I'm behind a big glittery paywall. That's right, because I'm worth it. It's just 10 bucks, though. What's that? Two cups of coffee, a kilo of mints, or good mints, four stars, guys, four stars at least, nothing. And uh, it's really easy. Some of you have said you're scared of the Crowdcast website. You don't have to be. You just go and you, you reserve your place. Then you sent an email, you get a link and you just watch it either off your laptop, in a browser, like any website you go and visit, like Netflix, or you can get the Crowdcast app on your phone. It's super easy. mraciano.com And you know this is the new way for all of us makers and performers. And I know it's hard and it's a new thing to have to think about paying money for something you're watching online but you can't come and see us in the flesh and that's our job but i know you guys get it god i, I always hear other artists saying oh em i don't think you should do it lots of people told me not to do this show and they said people don't want to pay because they get it online for free and i said no my people get it they come and they see me there's no difference of seeing me on stage to what you're going to see on friday night okay there's a big difference there's certainly not going to be dancing vaginas you're probably not going to get as loose although if you're at home you may get even looser Looking forward to all your eyes being on me Friday night in your lounge dreams. I'm here for you, emraciano.com. On Saturday night, uh, Michael Lucas and his wonderful husband, Adrian, came over for dinner, as they so often do. And, uh, you know, we had three phases of the night. They arrive early so they can hang out with Elio. Then they had some soup. Uh, Michael made me make him something healthy because he feels like, you know, he's he's got an ISO ass. (laughs) <laughs> He's fine. And uh, then we went and we sat out by the fire and made s'mores. Have you had s'mores? This was introduced to be my my daughter's best friends. They're American. Basically, you get a big marshmallow, you impregnate it with a piece of chocolate, then you put it on a stick, you roast it over the fire until the outside goes black and the chocolate's melted. And then you put it between two Maori biscuits, squish that together, and then eat it like a delicious... Very healthy, hashtag blessed, living my best life sandwich. Oh my God, you guys, it is so good. If you want to get extra, extra, then you can put it on a plate with ice cream and ice magic. I definitely did that. So, so good. And as we were sitting around the fire drinking mulled wine, have we hit peak middle age or what? <laughs> I'm all about mulled wine is my 2020 theme. It's my 2020 vibe because everything else is going to shit, let's be honest, but you can rely on mulled wine. It's so comforting. And if I decided about 11am on a day, I'm having a mulled wine, my whole day gets better. It's like I'm I'm pre-planning a hug with a drink. Isn't that okay? Mulled wine is so easy to make. Just Google it. I'm not going to give you my recipe, but it's seriously just some orange peel, a pot, some cinnamon sugar and strawberries, and then whatever else you want to add, just add to taste. It's so good. So when the mulled wine flows, so do the stories. And my daughters love sitting around hearing about high school because Michael and I went to high school and they delight in his vivid storytelling of their socially awkward mother struggling her way through teen hell. Because Michael and I were very low down on the social hierarchy. He was a tabby nerd and I was an ethnic tomboy, a very hairy young boy. I had very short hair. I mean, by 13, I was essentially a hobbit with a taste for glitter. You guys know that. I ranked only slightly higher on the scale because I was very good at sport. And as we know in Australian culture, if you can run fast or catch a ball or kick a ball well, you can be forgiven for being a little bit different. Michael would sit, bless him, in the library at lunchtime and recess with a couple other of the boys, reading the newspapers, just perusing the news, as 13-year-old boys definitely should <laughs> <laughs> and then we, our school got like one of the first computers in our area and he then just commandeered the computer. He was Computer Michael. I mean, there's nothing hotter. Can you imagine all the dates he was getting being Computer Michael? I'd play basketball with the boys at lunchtime and because um, I was good at sport. I was accepted in and the jocks liked me, only platonically though. And I would attempt to be like They, – we'd leave the basketball court and they'd go up to the, the girls on the hill and the girls on the hill were like – Amazons unicorns. Uh, in my mind, you know, the start of Wonder Woman, they look like that. I mean, they were normal teenage girls, but to this short, hairy, you know, <laughs> they were like, oh, and we walk up the hill and I'd try and think of things to say. And oh God, I always got it wrong. And I was just on the fringes. I was a fringe dweller. I never belonged anywhere. Like at least by year nine, Michael had this huge group of drama, music, you know, those kids, and they'd have their own parties, which, P.S., were wilder. The drama kids' parties were always wilder than the cool kids' parties in the end. Like we'd hear the, we'd hear the stories. And I was kind of invited to both but always on the fringes. I was never part of a crew. I um, And my girls would look at me now and they're like, what? And then, you know, we, we talked about – we talked about how I was the only Italian person, I was the only ethnic person at my primary and high school and that blew their mind because, gosh, we're everywhere now. But, I I mean, my girls have never been called a WOG. I asked them, I said, have you ever been called? And they're like, nah. The first time I heard that was when my prep teacher called Emilia Rassiano on the roll and it was the first time someone yelled WOG in front of me. I was, like, laughing away at it and Michael and Adrian left and then um, Scott says to me, do do that? You still upset you? And I said, look. You know, I was, I've was i always been really proud of my Italian heritage and I love my Italianness, and and my dad is so important to me. So I guess I wasn't embarrassed by him ever and I wasn't ashamed of it. But, you know, in Australia, especially in the 80s and 90s, you know, it was pretty cruel at school. And if you weren't an Anglo kid with an Anglo-sounding name, then you're an other. And I guess I've always been an other, even in my career, even in everything that I do, I'm an other. And the way I've survived that and people often say to me, you know, how do you kind of get through being I – mean, I've always been a bit weird and I, I've always annoyed people. And I think my advice to you is if if you're someone who's a bit different <laughs> in whatever way, if, a, if, if an Anglo-Australian – if you went to school and you were different, an Anglo-Australian kid would let you know. I found the other others. And – I guess a lot of you guys are the other others. But, yeah, I mean, obviously I've buried a lot of trauma, I've buried a lot of that stuff, being called all those names all the way through. But it's kind of lit that eternal fire in me to be really good at everything and prove myself, which, I mean, is exhausting and it's caused me a lot of problems also. But, um, yeah, I, I guess you just got, like Michael did, you just got to find your tribe and, and I say that to the girls all the time and I said that to my other daughter – He's in, she's in year eight. She's 13, Odette, and God, oh, that was such a tough time. But you've just got to find people who see you and like you for you, and that's hard in high school because you just, you just want to be with the girls on the hill. But <laughs> I'll never be with the girls on the hill. Even now I don't fit in with the girls on the hill. <laughs> All right, that's enough reminiscing and trauma. We've got Michael Lucas coming up to talk Master Chef, of course, You know, look, that taste test. Let's talk about it. I'm going to try and be nice about Andy. I will. Shut up, Andy. Oh my God. I can't even help saying that. He's great. He's a lovely guy. He's such a nice guy. Uh, And uh, look, we're also going to be talking about a fantastic podcast Michael rang me breathlessly about called Debutante. It's all happening. Oh, Deb Balls. If you grew up in the 90s, Deb Balls, big deal. Basically, your trial wedding. That's all coming. Play the music.
0: M. Rossiano and Michael Lucas. This is Emsolation.
1: All right, well, I've shaken off the trauma of the intro to dive into probably some fresh trauma. <laughs> Michael Lucas. Oh, Michael, you won't have heard it yet, but I spoke about how we were all laughing about high school at dinner on Saturday night, and then it caused me to spiral after it. Oh, that's not surprising.
0: <laughs> I, I think that our high school spiral is going to be a regular feature. Probably every two to three years, you're going to complete... <laughs> meltdown about it for the rest of your life.
1: But when do you ever stop having revelations? Like just when you think you know every corner of your trauma from that era and you think you've worked through it, you're in the shower on Saturday night after three mulled wines and you're having an, you have an epiphany as to why you relentlessly work yourself to the bone, linking back to being called a smelly wog as a five-year-old.
0: <laughs> I'm not saying that my trauma in any way compares to that, but when I was cast as Peter Pan in the school play production of Peter Pan in Year 10, I was called Too Fat. Um, to play it, and I remember all the jokes about how they wouldn't be a good, they couldn't, they didn't have any kind of flying rig. We just had to sort of stand there and pretend to fly. And the joke going around was because I was just far too heavy; I was going to snap any flying rig. And still to this day, I dream yeah, yeah. about that. I dream about being Aww. on stage and people going, "He's just so fat." <laughs> so no, it never goes. Didn't your mother say that? Oh yeah, totally. My mother, she took a really interesting approach. I don't think it's sanctioned by contemporary mental health experts. My mother, she's a bit of a Cath Day Night at times, and she keeps herself trim. And, yes, would she look oh. at her 12-year-old son and go, hmm, when's the baby due? Yes, she would. <laughs>
1: Your mum, no wonder you were drawn to me. Cause I'm I'm as harsh as your mother is. <laughs> God, I can't believe your mother said to you, when's the baby due?
0: I know. I know. Oh wow. Anyway, you're wondering why I live in a house where we have fasts and go on the paleo diet. <laughs> it's childhood trauma <laughs> sewn in. <laughs>
1: Well, uh, look, speaking of trauma, MasterChef last night, fan favourite Brendan sent home for not being able to balance his flavours. Flavours.
0: Yeah, I know, tragic. I mean, he's just such a tender, innocent little – he's a cherub. He's a cherub. He's a beautiful – Isn't he? He's just a beautiful gay thing. nerd and I have such a weakness and such a sense of protectiveness towards them and it hurt. <laughs> he
1: really did. He was numb. He well, was numb. I think
0: Mel was on the verge of tears away. and she kept saying, how do you feel? And he goes, I'm, oh, I can't feel anything at the moment.
1: <laughs> I can't feel anything. Isn't that telling? I'm numb. I'm dead on the inside, Mel. I just wish someone said, I'm dead on the inside, mate. I'm exhausted. <laughs> no, but for me, I kind of knew, and they always do this. I mean, maybe it's because I, I watch so many of these shows and I'm also in television. When they were walking in in the first scene, Poe said to Brendan, is that your Elimination Day shirt? And uh, they've never mentioned this before and then Brendan said back, yeah, I wear it every elimination. And then I said, ah, well, he's gone. (laughs) Because, like, they specifically within the first two minutes – made a big deal about the fact he was wearing an elimination shirt on an elimination show, which led me to believe he's going to be eliminated. Don't you think?
0: I must admit, yeah, look, sure. For some reason, I was just convinced it was going to be Tessa. I don't know why. I don't know why. I thought she looked a little bit sort of upset. In the, in the side interview. So I thought, oh, she's gone. She's gone. But no, nah, she was just through. annoyed
1: that she got celery wrong in the first guess.
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> that was, we literally stuff. watched a full hour of people just yeah. tasting cubes yeah. of food. I mean... <laughs> Who have we we become? Is this what TV is now? I mean, I was sort of, I wasn't going to turn the channel, of course not, but they really (laughs) tested how committed I am to the (laughs) MasterChef format.
1: Oh, my God. But what I I was yelling at the telly, as usual, uh, my usual shut up Andy's. but also, like, first of all, Callum, Callum with all honesty looks at the camera and with his gorgeous lisp says, basically, it's Russian roulette with food. And I'm like, that's not how Russian roulette works. (laughs) (laughs) Have you?
0: You well know I, what guess actually... he's, I guess he's saying the bullet is the hard to pick item. Is it? <laughs> Look, yeah. The stakes might be slightly different, sure.
1: And then he he takes a bite of his first cube and he's like, and he's get he's thinking, he's thinking, he's thinking, and I'm like, oh yeah. And then he goes, carrot. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? It took you 30 seconds of umming and arring to get carrot? <laughs> And then bloody Brendan, they put it up to him and he's like, "Mm, uh, apple. I was like, come on.
0: Do you remember the movie Nine and a Half Weeks, 80s, sex thriller, Kim Basinger yeah. and uh, Mickey Rourke? That had a yeah. famous sequence that I couldn't stop talking about where he blindfolds her and and says, and says, let me feed you things. And it's her in front of, like, the glowing light of the fridge and he's, like, putting strawberries in her mouth and everything. I kept thinking about it. And I always remember that in interviews, Kim Basinger said, it's not sexy because when you're blindfolded, you don't know what the food is and you just, all you know, are things are going in your mouth and even if it's your favourite food ever, you just you can't process it properly. So... I was really connecting MasterChef last night with that terrible eighties movie. Oh
1: my god, I love it! I wanted to see Andy have to describe the harder ones later on. That would have been interesting. (laughs) But Andy, what's this? Mm, It's hard. And it's food. Yes, Andy, well done. That's what his description would have been, idiot. <laughs>
0: you just are getting more and more brutal in your determination for some sort of national shaming of Andy.
1: No, I'm again criticizing his um, judging technique, not him as an individual human. But he he's is a, a judge. Man. He's a good person. He's not a judge, he's not a qualified judge. He's never judged anything in his life. This is his first judging gig. For God's sake. I'm sorry. But I don't think he deserves to be there. I think he should have been a contestant and I think he probably was and then Poe said no to judging so they slid old Andy in there. Anyway, why did Brendan go home? Because I did turn it off because I got bored. Well,
0: he he went with a noodle dish and unfortunately he did not – um, balance the flavors properly. I can't even remember which one of the flavors it, there was too much of, but just did Jock said to, what, that's all. I'm balance, getting. yeah, Hard it had to tough. be this perfect. What? Even that's why Amelia was sitting there like desperately putting Vegemite into chocolate, so she could, so she could find a way to balance that flavor, <laughs> which she did apparently successfully. It's true. <laughs> that's what happened.
1: Chocolate. What?
0: Yeah, that's what she did. But Brendan, unfortunately, I don't know what happened. The noodles, anyway. So. Oh, because Reese was so
1: glad he got he went home on the bloody cube challenge. So he was glad to be up in the bloody gantry.
0: I have to say, Reese is now. I mean, I think I still want Poe to win. But if Reese won, I'd be pretty happy. He's really won my heart.
1: Yeah, I'm all about Reese now. I, I think Poe. I lost me a bit. I'm not going to be. I'm not going to lie. Um, I'm all yeah. I'm all about Reese. I'm team Reese now, all the way. I just love
0: whenever he wins something. He get, he get, he's so happy and so surprised and gives himself a delighted clap. And <laughs> <laughs> you can see it in endless <laughs> memes. But it's just such a beautiful reaction. And I'll oh, go race
1: all the way with the delightful gay. That's what I'm going to say. For <laughs>
0: That could be, if I ever run for Prime Minister, that's totally my slogan.
1: All the way with a delightful gay. Yeah, it works. He's so gorgeous. I love him. All right, well, we'll continue on. Look, I'll try and find something nice to say about Andy next episode. Oh, that's a nice shade of beige bomber jacket.
0: Okay, <laughs> <laughs> Okay. That's a first step. You may have to try harder.
1: Look at your maroon chinos. They've been ironed well. What about that? <laughs> Fine. I love him. I love Andy. He's a great bloke. He's really nice. Um, Now, we do, obviously, if you're in Melbourne, if you're in Victoria, you are now under more restrictions. But also, I mean, the rest of the country, you are maybe out and about, but looking for recommendations for things to listen to. And this podcast is about recommending high-quality content, 365 days, case in point. (laughs) So um, (laughs) – Are you a lost baby girl? (laughs) And so – Michael, you frantically texted me yesterday, I'm listening to the best podcast. You have to listen to it. You'll love it. And I do love it and I have started listening to it. Please uh, tell our wonderful listeners the other podcasts. Once they've listened to ours, they should be listening to. Yeah,
0: it's called Debutante, and it's by Miranda Tapsell. Actress, writer, yep. uh, yes. but there's Sapphires and, and uh, Love John. Mm. And Nakia Louie, mm. also actress, writer and playwright. Oh, and, um, I'm
1: obsessed with Nakia Louie. She oh, I know. just seems like the coolest. Like you just would be become cooler being in her orbit. Oh, my God. Even her reading glasses are super cool. They're yeah. like 70s old school. I don't know. Every time I see Nikia Louie's involved in something, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is going to be cool. Oh, and every she's time she's so on the cool. panel
0: of anything. Like when she goes on the project. Yeah. It's just, yeah. she's she's oh, so articulate and then, and then so emotionally yes. present. Anyway. Just cool. Um, but this podcast.
1: You didn't say the full title though. It's debutante, race, resistance and girl power.
0: Yes, exactly. And I, like um, mm. I mean, I was initially drawn to it. It's on Audible, by the way. It's not on your yep. normal podcast thing, but you can just do the 30 day free trial. That's what I did.
1: Or if you have an Amazon account, you get it for free.
0: Oh, okay, well, there you go.
1: Yeah, but either way, you should pay for it. It's really good.
0: Well, and I was drawn to it because so much of my late teens was spent working as a waiter at Debutante Balls around Dead Melbourne, balls. I think the 90s, oh, yeah. the late 90s, were, they must have been some sort of peak for debutante balls because <laughs> I was basically working <laughs> two a week for a period of time there. And they kept, as the years went on, they kept sort of spreading further and deeper into the suburbs and then finally became like country debutante balls. But mm. I, di- I shamefully, I had no idea that debutante balls in so many Aboriginal communities can be such a big event. And so they've done this podcast that looks looks at that, looks at the history of it, but then just looks at debutante balls around the world, where the tradition mm. came from, and then also how debutante balls have sort of been claimed. Like, I didn't, they're a thing in, like a lot of African-American communities mm. also get really on board with debutante balls. And in fact, Nikia Louie's mum out in uh, Mount yeah. Druid, she, that, yeah. she runs debutante balls. And um, it was riveting to me because... My mum was kind of, you know, 1970s feminist minded and she refused to have a debut on Ball, absolutely refused because she said it reminded her of like a Catholic communion sort of vibe or Catholic confirmation with all the girls in white dresses. Well, it did start out
1: that way. So basically it did start out in that it was wealthy fathers putting their daughters out on display for possible trading of goods and son. So it really did start out in a way that it was their introduction to society, and it, it, it was treating girls as a commodity. Rich, yeah, very a, a, British aristocratic British families, super, monarchy
0: yeah. being introduced right. to the British royal family, and so of yep. course there was part of me that wondered, "Gee, who's the person I know that's got the biggest, most glaring soft spot for the British royal family and all those traditions?" <laughs> and what? Why haven't I heard the story about M's ball? Because surely oh. it was on the agenda,
1: and. So yeah, explain where was your deb Look, it ball? was ball? Uh, it was on the agenda. And I of course had no idea about the history of dead balls and how dubious they were. I just knew that every girl in year 10, they always got to dress up like it was their wedding day. And you know, and I, even though I was a massive tomboy, I still had that Disney princess obsession side of me. Mm-hmm. And so I always knew that I was going to run my deb like it was a practice wedding basically. <laughs> and I went off to a sports high school after I left our high school and um, I became one of the cool popular kids basically because I was really good. I was in national teams, world junior teams and I was, you know, I got to reinvent myself and I got asked by a boy named Jason Smith. He was this incredible South African guy. He was a sprinter and he asked me if I would do the debt with him and I was just like so excited. And so, you know, when you do the Deb, you've got to go to weekly dance classes and you, you go for dress fittings and all of that was happening. All my friends were doing it. And, of course, we were frantically planning the after party because that's even more exciting than the Deb. Of course. And then halfway through the Deb run where I'd probably done about six dance lessons by then with Jason, um, I had a big fight with my mum, Jenny, and I can't even remember. I think it was over me not returning a jumper I'd borrowed, or I don't know. It was something. Gee, sounds and pretty critical. <laughs> she, yeah. And she said to me, or it could have been, I mean, it could have been anything. We, we fought a lot around then. I was really flexing and she wasn't really having it. And we fought a lot. Mum and I had a tumultuous time. And then she said to me, Right, you're not doing the deb one night after I'd given her a particular lip. And I said, As if you've paid for it all. She was true to her word and pulled the p- plug on everything. The dress was half made. Jason was without a partner. Oh, Jason. Yeah, it was full on. So I tragically did not get to be introduced to society. Perhaps that's what my problem's been this whole time. <laughs> Put
0: you on the back foot never to recover.
1: Didn't get to wear the gloves. Didn't get to get my hair done in an updo. Didn't oh. get to wear false eyelashes. Didn't get to spray tan with latan Tan. Didn't get any of that stuff. Didn't get to walk around. But, but, crushingly enough, I went as a guest. Oh, no. I had to sit at a table in like oh, an my old God. dress. Of course,
0: and watch. Baby was literally put in a corner.
1: Baby was not only put in the corner, she was facing the wall. Oh. And... I had to watch as the people I'd learnt and then under the table I did the steps tragically. Like if it was a movie, the camera would have panned down to my feet dancing the steps because I knew them off by heart. And, like, I just kept hoping, Jenny, there'd be a reprieve like Cinderella and the last minute she'd appear in my room with the dress. Oh, yeah. Did if happen- it was
0: a teen movie, that would have
1: happened. Yeah, it didn't. So I tragically, and if I was on a radio show, if I would I would make sure we put on a dead ball for myself. <laughs> For all the people out there to get a dead ball, for all the weirdos, the nerds, the sportos, the ones whose mothers cut it off.
0: One of the great things in the podcast is that one of the aunties who's in, in her 70s, one of Nakia's aunties, I think, um, she she didn't do her debut until her 70s. So it's never too late, Em. <laughs> and I want you to know, but who would you pick as your partner? Do you reckon i get a look in or would you? Scott just, yeah, I mean, Scott you. wouldn't nah. be. You know I'd be. Scott,
1: no way, Yeah. Yeah. No Scott would I would not, learn the dance moves. I mean, I'd murder 100%. the dance
0: moves, and I don't mean it in yes. a good way, but at least you know that <laughs> I would remember them.
1: <laughs> but I do I also love about this podcast, debutante, the one we're talking about. Um the fact that the, they reclaimed it, and it's this sense of like empowerment and sisterhood and yeah. um, the fact I just the whole podcast, and, and I've listened, I've listened to the first ep and then kind of read on for all the other synopsis of the other eps, but it goes to places that you just don't expect it to. It's just, and, and it's obviously such a thing within the Aboriginal community and they're all laughing when they talk about it. And and I just think I had no idea and I wish I did. And I hope there's a film or a documentary because it just seems like, it seems incredible.
0: Oh, yeah. I could not stop thinking about what you would do if you were, I mean, I'm, they are both exceptional screenwriters. So I'm, I'm going to presume they're Surely. on it. But the, the, the first Deb that they had in the late 60s after the referendum, that was a, a, a whole group of Aboriginal girls were, were picked and were presented to the Prime Minister. And I'm telling you, there is a sort of a League of Their Own-esque um, emotional girl power drama comedy (laughs) in that whole premise. Oh, it'd be so good. They could star in it. They'd be so good. One thing that really made me pull myself up was that because Nakia's mum, um, you know, is an organizer and they go for sort of like Mm. council funding and everything like that. And sometimes they're knocked back and they're knocked back because sort of, you know, basically white liberals like me say, Oh, this is a white tradition. Why it's so out of date? Why would you? And there's, but then when you really hear the stories and engage with it properly, yeah. you realise it is in one of, the, for all the people involved, so empowering and it's not about necessarily no. like holding up this white tradition. It's it's more about unpicking it and reclaiming it and, and getting that moment.
1: Yeah. But it's also that whole problem of white people telling Aboriginal people what they need to do and what needs to happen for them that's for the best. This is the whole Indigenous people have been saying for the whole time, let us handle it, guys. Maybe stop interfering. So if you've got Indigenous people doing dead balls and, and it's not up to us to kind of say, oh, no, but... You know, we we are almost. Do you know what I mean? Enough of white people telling Indigenous people what's best for them, and that's that's even even well-meaning.
0: Because I even remember working as a waiter in the nineties. I mean, they were. It was not the gig you wanted because they used to charge people so much, families so much mm. to go to those balls, and because of and but really they're serving them a pretty shitty meal, and so because of yeah. that, the waiters would cop a lot of flack. I still oh, remember shit. being <laughs> abused by families at <laughs> tip ball, going, "We have paid four hundred
1: dollars for this ticket."
0: <laughs> I, vividly vividly and oh then they're expecting God. they're going to get more than overcooked chicken and then overcooked beef
1: it was always I, yeah over-cooked and i also chicken. remember being
0: yeah. kind of mystified by y- you would see how much it was embraced by like asian families and there would always be a lot of greek mm. families they would always be presented like with the Herathsis and the pinotis, and i would always think why are you claiming this british thing but now uh, i i understand more and also it made me realize like you know, I, I myself, the the one big, you know, tradition that I was excluded from for so long was weddings. And when I finally got the chance to do it, I deliberately mm. went in and thought, I'm going to make this my own. I'm going to pick which parts of the tradition <laughs> I like and I'm going to trash the yes. parts of it that I don't like and I'm going to reinvent yes. it and it's going to be amazing. It's going to be the best ever.
1: Oh, my God. Yes, exactly. That's good. All right. Well, uh, look, it's called Debutante Race Resistance and Girl Power. Uh, Nikita Louie and Miranda Tapsell, go and listen to it. It's so fascinating, so well done. And, look, maybe I'll think about putting on a dead ball for my next stand-up tour next year and everyone has to come in dead gowns.
0: I reckon people would get into it. You said we've had a radio show. This is a version of a radio
1: show. (laughs) We could do it. Maybe next year I'll put on a dead ball. Who knows? A middle-aged Deb. Oh, that'd be nice. We'll start at early, start at four, be done by nine. It's perfect. All right. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you've got 9,000 meetings about your TV show, so I'll let you go.
0: Yeah. Hopefully we can yeah. keep filming. Hopefully we're not oh put out God. by the surge. Jesus.
1: Oh, God, I know. Good luck. All right, we'll chat Thursday. Okay, bye. Bye. This is Emsolation. Well, that's all we have time for on today's Emsolation. I uh, have good news. Guess what? Bonus ep coming out tomorrow with the incredible Constance Hall. That's right. I sat down with Con for an in-depth chat. As you can imagine her and I together, the filters were set on fire upon arrival. It was so great. She's so great. She's so full of life and energy. That will be coming out tomorrow, Wednesday. <laughs> Do you ever like want to just go my kid was the ducks of the school. Wasn't she like didn't she yeah. be like a ridiculous genius ATAR? Yeah. And did. like you know instead of being relatable and relevant just go no, actually I'm a shining star. Love <laughs> yeah. a mum. I'm a home cooking mum. I've yeah. Work and do all this shit. So go fuck yourselves. Three episodes this week. Oh, special treats. Thanks again for picking us, and um, we'll see you soon. Bye.